0: Welcome to the Small But Mighty Biz Stories podcast, where we talk about the inspiration and motivation behind your small business. Here's your host, Karen Wilson. Hi there, friends. Welcome to Small But Mighty Biz Stories. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Stephanie Sewell to share her business story with you. Stephanie is an independent education consultant who helps both kids and parents. For children and teens, she helps them take ownership of their education so they're engaged, happy, and confident in all areas of life, not just school. And for parents, she helps them see their kids as the owner of their education so they can fully support their educational journey. So I think that sounds like a win-win. Stephanie, please tell us all about you and your work
1: thank you karen um i love the way you put that i think i'm gonna have to quote you on my website now because the way <laughs> you said helping parents to see their kids possibility of taking that journey that's such a big part of what i do
2: yeah.
1: um so many of us have gone through a conventional school system and once we're at the end of that we kind of go into the world with that assumption that school has to be that education has to be that it's something that's we just kind of go through a process that is more done to us. And yeah. so what I really help people to see is that mm-hmm. it's okay to own that to feel like you've decided to be a part of that process and to take a year off if things aren't working out or to you know adjust the way you're engaging with a particular class if it's not working out to talk to the teacher to to remember that you're a person in this journey. And as soon as we can start shifting that way of thinking the world opens up totally differently, and I see that carry on into people's lives outside of school as well because it is totally. a different way of thinking. Totally,
0: yeah, totally. So, so um, as an independent education consultant, um, you know, first of all, how how did you get started with this? Uh, what what drove you into this direction?
1: Yeah, so I have I have a background as a teacher. I have a bachelor of education and. Before that I was always teaching. You know, when I was little, I lined up all my stuffed animals on the bed and I planned lessons for them <clears throat> and you know, that's how I played. I always knew I was going to be a teacher. I taught piano lessons. I'm also a musician, so I you know, I taught piano lessons from even when I was a teenager. I was always engaged in the act of connecting with people to help them learn things. And the teaching that I did in schools was I enjoyed it in many ways, but I was already starting to feel like, oh, I just, I don't love every aspect of it. And a lot of what I wasn't loving was the things that I had to do to the kids in the sense of having to teach this topic or this uh, skill, even if I could see the kids weren't ready for it. There was always, we were always beholden to what the curriculum said. So I started getting this bit of a like, oh, I'm not really sure. And I wound up leaving the, the field of teaching, um, which brought me into the next wonderful part of my life, which was my own children being born. And during those early years, by happenstance, I got in touch with the homeschool community and started to learn about homeschooling and to see what this was and what this world was. And when it came time for my eldest to go to kindergarten, I knew that there was a choice. So thinking, you know, thinking of my tagline now of "Own your learning, own your life," and that idea of choice, we came to that time in our son's life knowing that we had a choice to make, not assuming that he would go. So we were able to really talk through. Okay, well, who is he? You know, what's what's his life like? What are what are the options for him to put, put, like potentially stay home, and what would that look like? What would it look like if he went to school? What's our okay, what's the broader picture in our community of all of that? So. Going through that process of making that choice was really significant for me in my journey as for my career, and for my work in the field of education. The choice wound up being for him to stay home and I spent the next many years um, focusing on him being home, being a home learner and his sister also three years younger. She was home until grade four. Um, So we had an amazing, time of exploring what it is to learn outside of the school system. And over those years, I just started getting a little bit involved with conversations with people to kind of help them figure out their own homeschooling. And I was really fascinated by the process of learning and learning in different contexts. So I started researching more and attending conferences. And all of this just started to come together until the stage where my kids were old enough that they no longer need me in the same way. And I started seeing this is becoming, this is emerging as my next step career-wise.
2: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and it's funny because at the very beginning of thinking of this as being something that I would do, I didn't know what to call myself. Like, am I a coach, a consultant? A, like, what? I don't know. I just kind of know how I can help people and what their benefit will be so independent education consultant was a phrase that that you know I did come up with and that feels very appropriate because I do consult with families and then often that becomes more of a coaching relationship when when they're engaging on a more longer term um on a longer term journey with me right
0: so many questions come to mind uh so um you're still teaching you're you're teaching people how to take that ownership of their education um and and teaching them all the different ways that education can happen i assume
2: i love that you said
1: that because yes i'm still teaching and the difference from the teaching that i did before was that now i teach people who have consented to be taught ah so in the in my kind of alternative to conventional education professional world, we talk a lot about consent and it's really interesting because when we talk about consent normally in the world, we're talking about different contexts, right? Like consent for yeah. sexual activity, consent for, you know, for drug use or whatever. Like it's it's that yeah. kind of thing. So when you start saying, well, what does consent mean in education? It's kind of like, well, I don't know.
2: Like, whoa you know that's,
1: that's kind of an out there concept but if you think about a time that you've taught somebody something because they've asked you versus a time that you've taught or tried to teach somebody something when they really didn't want to know then all of a sudden the notion of consent in education or
2: learning is like oh yeah I get that oh yeah so definitely
0: that makes
2: tra- a huge So that's like
1: a pivot point in the work that I do. Once somebody can kind of go,
2: oh, then a lot follows from there. Then they can see, oh, you know, my teenager who
1: despises school because he or she is feeling that, you know, they've got other things they'd rather be doing or they hate the control that they feel they're under at school. All of a sudden, you can say, I get that. They haven't consented to be there. They haven't consented, all those exams that they're studying for, that they're, you know, essays that they're leaving till the last minute or whatever. Yeah, like they're at 15 years old, 16 years old. Like they're able to go and drive and work and like they're fully fledged adults in many ways, but they're still being told that they have to learn something that they haven't consented to. So that's, I mean, that kind of, it's an interesting um, way of thinking differently. So yes, I do still teach and I love it now in a whole other way because it's a consensual relationship. There's no coercion.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And what's funny that you mentioned this is that um, I, I have a child who is autistic and so I've been teaching him a lot of these concepts for a long time. I'm really talking. I'm trying to talk him into going the unschooling route <laughs> because uh, I just see the benefits of it, uh, especially for kids whose brains are wired differently but it really applies to all children. Um, and one of the things, and I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, one of the things that he and I talk about and just did in the last few days uh is the I the the different view that uh we have of children now than you know when you and I were growing up, where children that we're raising are are recognized as fully formed human beings you know they they have their own thoughts and interests and tastes and preferences we don't necessarily force ours on them. And there's the, you know, the conscious parenting movement that sort of reinforces these ideas. Um, and so, so, you know, I, I tell him stories about things that happened when I was a child. And, you know, one example that we talked about this week was, um, just dinner time and, and food preferences. And, and a lot of kids have, uh, aversions to, textures and and flavors and things but when i was growing up you know i i told him a story about this one meal my mom would prepare and it was so gross <laughs> It was so gross, but she kind of, you know, she really pushed me to eat this meal. And there was one night that um, she said, you're going to sit there until you eat at least half what's on your plate. And I sat there for two hours before she realized that it just wasn't going to happen. <laughs> and, and I, and I tell my son, I mean, that's one of the reasons why. I don't force you to eat foods you don't like. All I do is want you to try it. And then we go from there. So, so this idea that children can own their education that you're teaching is rooted in a lot of the same things. It's like the these are human beings. They're they're not robots.
2: Yes. And Um, our school system like one of the things that's important to understand is that our school system is rooted in a time that is no longer a time that we live in and so our school
1: system like to use your analogy of food our school system is constantly putting things on their plates that they have to eat and they have to sit there for longer than two hours like they have to eat it and That's again a really interesting, actually, analogy that I'd never thought of before. And you know, and it sounds like I'm saying like, oh, schools are evil, and and I'm not, because schools are filled with incredible human beings who went into the career of teaching or administrator because they love kids and they Mm -hmm. love being in that kind of nurturing relationship with kids. But I have yet to engage in a extended conversation with a teacher that doesn't end up with the teacher saying yeah I love my job but yeah. I wish I didn't have to make them do this or a huge one a really interesting one that I'm thinking more and more about lately is the idea of judgment um I have a teacher I have a friend who's a teacher she's retired now and she told me something she told me a story one day that just rocked my world so she's she's a pretty alternative teacher in that she's um, she's not super curriculum based but she's always taught in public schools and she doesn't put a lot of emphasis on testing or any of that but mm-hmm. the time that she told me about was that she'd had a new class it was you know September October November report cards went home. It was the first time that her students had had any kind of like judgment or evaluation or comments about them put on them by her. It was the first time they'd seen her in that role. And she said they came back to school the next day and the relationship that we had changed like from one day to the next, Mm -hmm. the report card went home and suddenly they didn't see us as working together. They remembered that I was in a position of authority, of control, of judgment over them because yeah. I had to do this report card. Oh, that's sad. Me. And it's, it's a really interesting thing, right? Because in a relationship, like, again, all these wonderful people who were in schools because they want to be with kids
2: and nurse them and all of that, well, because the relationship is, in, is inherently structured as an authoritarian vertical relationship, that affects it yeah and what does it look like if it's a horizontal relationship? And now that doesn't mean that it's a free for all but as soon as you start thinking of a true horizontal relationship, then we can recognize that different people
1: have different roles so if we go mm-hmm. to a classroom then you know a teacher um, needs like a teacher has the responsibility of implementing whatever he or she is being told from on high, but they can do that in ways that the kids understand what's happening and can still have engagement about it. Um, so yeah, just that, that idea of what does the relationship look like when it's not based in that kind of top down.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, um, one of the things that I used to talk with my son about, because he's always, you know, struggled with anxiety in school. And it's it's all those expectations and the forcing to do things. Um, and, and, and one of the things that I used to say is that, you know, school is your opportunity to explore all these different topics. And you're going to like some of them and you're not going to like others. But it gets you, it allows you to find what you like. And I've realized more recently that that idea is so not particularly accurate um, because it, it sounds pretty, <laughs> but but it's it's actually possible to do that. In a situation where he gets to be the, in the driver's seat and he can explore and find those things on his own and, and he will. That's the, that's the thing, you know, as a, um, I guess it was about four years ago, he was nine years old, he took it upon himself to learn every single president of the United States, what they, um, you know, various little tidbits about them. He had a teacher at his school who would just say a number to him. He'd like pass him in the hall, say a number, Brandon could say what president it was. And, and and it was just this thing that he did on his own. They weren't learning it in school. That's not part of the Canadian curriculum. But because he's half American and he, um, he had an interest, you know, politics have been a big thing over the last uh, number of years. And so he just, he went for it and he did it on his own time. And I think we don't give kids enough credit for their ability and interest in doing
1: that. And I think one of the reasons that we don't is that a lot of kids don't do that because so much of their headspace and time is taken up by the school version of learning. Yeah. Um, so that's, so, you know, when, when I'm working with a family, one of the first things I do is help parents, like take them through the process of, okay, where, when does your child shine? Like when does your child vibrate with excitement? When what is that thing that your child chooses to go and do? And those things, whether it's like, you know, just choose the best makeup brush, like something that we wouldn't typically value, but the child is really into it, that that moment of intrinsic motivation. So those intrinsic motivation moments, those are the good, that's where the good stuff starts. Mm
2: Because when you're
1: intrinsically motivated to something you move forward, whether it's Lego, learning the presidents of the United States, you know, deciding which nail polish lasts the longer, the longest, like that's that's where true learning begins. And that's what we want to be very strong and nurtured and um, valued in people as they move into the adult world. So that's often what happens when somebody is in school and not feeling good in school is that intrinsic motivation is getting swallowed up. They don't the you know the student can't find it anymore. The parents are like, they used to be so interested and now they're not. So it's like, okay, so where like what where is it? Let's go hunting, let's be detectives. Where's that tiny glimmer of anything that's intrinsically motivated? And then don't don't try to like fan the flames of that fire because you'll probably put it out.
2: But just notice (laughs) it
1: value it. And, and give it space yeah so the idea then of taking that to the next level which is what we talk about with unschooling or self-directed learning self-directed yeah. education is trusting that um, spark to grow into the flame that becomes the person's education and it's a massive massive trust shift because we're used to trusting the curriculum like I went to yeah. school. I learned everything I needed to learn. I went and I like, went to university. I got a job. And you know, if you don't learn the curriculum, you'll fail. Is how we are used to thinking. And so there's many, um, there's amazing ways to start. Inviting yourself to think differently about that. Um, I often send people to Sir Ken Robinson's talk. Of course, you do. Now. <laughs> but, you know, that was, that's like a great spot to start. Yeah. Um, there's a boy called Logan Laplante. Logan, if you look up Logan TED Talk, you'll find it. He was about 12 when he gave this TED Talk, and he's a self-directed learner. I think I've and seen talks, that one. Yeah, There you go. So those, those are your basic ones. And then you start getting into somebody like Peter Gray, who's a researcher from yeah. um, Boston, I believe. And he is one of the founders of the Self-Directed Education uh, I'm trying to remember their official name. Anyway, it's like self-directed.org or something. Peter Gray, self-directed, you'll find it. Yeah. And so he talks about the conditions of self-directed learning of unschooling, you know, what you want, what you want to provide for that flame to continue growing. Um. So then you just, and then you start looking at somebody like Judy Arnall, who's Canadian. She's in Alberta, and she's written a book called "Unschooling to University." So she yep. tracked thirty kids who went through an unschooling approach to life, meaning there was no curriculum imposed on them. They initiated their learning and looked at what they did. You know, and most of them wound up going to university. You know, I, my son is nineteen now, and he's heading off to university, having self-directed. The vast majority. Well, he's a self-directed learner. He chose chose to go to grade twelve and took a bunch of grade twelve classes. Got really yeah. great marks, and and now he's heading off to university in the fall. Yeah. So we when we can see that this happens, like we we all are very familiar with the school, university, job route. So yeah. part of my like mission in life is to normalize and bring and draw attention to the. No school, like what I just say, living without school, choosing what you want to do, university being one of those options,
2: living mm-hmm. a life that you yeah. know, is, a, is a satisfying life, a life that fulfills you. Yeah, um, I can't remember why we started on that, but that so
1: that idea of just like unschooling is learning about it to understand that consent-based education can work, and you might well wind up in school for a while for all of your time but you're there with a completely different mindset than the student next to you who doesn't know doesn't feel they have a choice or doesn't even know the choice exists
0: yeah yeah and that's even though my son is currently in school what we're We're kind of already practicing the consent based approach because we you know we decided together that he was going to do full virtual this year you know I took his lead you know he's got the lead for whether he withdraws from the school system it's It's all based on what he feels is right for him and so what i was I was thinking I would uh, cover off with you is for kids who are who who don't want to homeschool or unschool or whatever version of um, fully self-directed learning that they do, um, How would you go about uh, working with them to take ownership of their education within the structures that exist in the school system? Because it is a place of privilege to be able to keep a child home and not not every family can do it. So what are some of the things that you do with clients who choose to remain in the school system?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because you're right. And and often it's not even that the family can't have the child home or the, the teen home. It's that the child or teen wants to be at school because that's where their friends are.
2: Yes. So, exactly.
1: And and that's and again, like with the idea of um own your learning, own your life, like we have to value that. It's yes. No mat, you know, no matter how much the parent thinks, oh, you know, unschooling would be so good for you and <laughs> I'm a stay at home this and we can do
2: this. And like if the
1: child yep. wants to be with their friends, that is of value. Absolutely. So yes, how do you what are some of the ways that you can modify or, or um, play with your your way of interacting with school? So it depends on the school. Yeah. I can tell you everything from an amazing story to uh there's no flexibility at all story um the amazing story comes from a young woman grace who's actually just outside of toronto and uh she was at a school that's a little bit alternative but not like still within the public school system grace had been homeschooled in school homeschooled in school she decided to go to school for high school because she wanted to like she wanted to be with friends regularly and she was Kind of interested in being at school regularly for a bit. And she was there for a few, you know, a little while. And she finally decided, like, I just, I don't have time to do all the things that, I, that are important to me because I'm spending all this time in school. So I'm going to go back to homeschooling. And she let them know. And the school came to her and said, We'd like to set up a meeting with you. We'd like to know what we can do to make school work for you. That's amazing. And can you imagine the power of that question? Yeah, And it wasn't offered as like, you know, like I've been in a conversation or been in conversations with school and with families where things have gotten very, very difficult. Like a ch- the child is really struggling. And this it's like from the school, that, that offer of how can we make it work is kind of there. But it's in the context of like you leaving school, would clearly be a disaster for you. So like, OK, like w- okay, maybe we can shift a few things. But this was a very open-hearted, how do we make school work for you? And- That sends a powerful message to her because
0: your needs matter to us.
2: Yeah, yep.
1: And it wasn't, you know, she wasn't struggling, she she was not in a situation which I see often. She was not struggling with any mental health issues. She was just choosing to leave because it made more sense for her. Yeah. So they were able to say things like, okay, well, if you're signed up for a class, we need you to show up once every 15 days because of the attendance rule. And she's like, Yep, I can do that. And there was I can't remember now what the other I can I can send a link to a conversation that I've had with her that's on YouTube. Um I can't remember now what some of the other things they said, but it wound up that she decided to stay. And she would go, like, some, some weeks she would go three or four days. Other weeks she'd just be there for a day. And, but it worked. She's, you know, a wonderful young woman. She's very respectful of – she was respectful of how her engagement with school might affect others. So she was, you know, she was able to make that a smooth situation for everybody. And she, you know, she did what she needed to do. And That's really phenomenal. it was
2: fantastic.
1: So that's possible. More often, there might be some flexibility. Maybe it'll be things like, you know, we can um, let you out of phys ed this year or, you know, and um, right now I'm talking more high schools, like in some high schools will say, you know, if you're you're really involved with my daughter's case, she's a horseback rider. So she was able to leave school early regularly in order to go Mm. riding if she chose to. That was something that we were able to work out. Um, You know, other schools will say things like, you know, I'm in Quebec, so there's a lot of kids who are at French schools, but they're actually English kids, they're Anglophones. So the English class, which is English for Francophones, is a boring waste of time for them because the English class is focused on teaching the language and they're native speakers of English, so they don't need that. So I know some schools will say you know, you can go to the library during that time, but then you have to come and write the exam. That's fair. So there's that kind of flexibility that you can sometimes work out. Um, looking at younger kids, it's difficult, obviously, to have the you can go to the library anytime kind of flexibility because they're, they're needing to know where everybody is and you know the, the kind of safety aspect. Um, so they're the kinds of things that I've seen work, especially within virtual learning. Are just letting the teacher know we won't be signing on for the ZED class because we're going to go outside.
2: You know, yeah.
1: my child, and it's some just some of that, just because there's a difference between so a lot of it has to do with how you approach it, right? Yeah. So, if you can come and say, "Look, this is what we're <clears throat> this is what we're seeing. It's you know, our child is not um, thriving because of this, 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 and this. We'd like to suggest this. How does that work for you?" Is that gonna yeah. disrupt your class if we're taking our child out? Because that's a that's a real thing, right? Like if you're a teacher yeah. and somebody's coming in and out and saying, I don't have to be here for the test this afternoon and everybody else has to, that's not yeah. a sustainable situation because it's not it's not yeah. it's
2: not something that works for everybody. So um, yeah, so you talking to the teacher and finding out what can work.
1: Yeah. Um, it really has to be I a partnership. Say, it does. It does. And many teachers are willing to engage in that partnership. Yeah. As long as we as parents can remember that it's, it can be extra effort for the teacher who's already swamped because that's the reality of being a teacher. Absolutely. Like Adding in an extra piece can feel like too much. Yeah. Um, one of the situations that I see a lot is kids leaving school once a week to go to forest school.
2: Oh, yeah. So,
1: and that's a wonderful thing. For a lot of kids who find sitting still in school really hard, being absent on Wednesdays for four school makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. But I've also consulted recently with a family who was challenged by the school because the one day a week absence meant that their childhood exceeded the number of so called allowable days of absence. So even though the teacher was fine with it, it wasn't disrupting the class, the child was doing well, they were still being told they needed to stop pulling their child out. So that's where that's the negotiation. And it's understanding that, you know, you might have a teacher who can just say, yeah, like I'm going to maybe I'm even going to mark them present because I know that they're doing something. They're not like sitting at home. Playing video games or whatever, maybe a teacher is able to create a special situation where they're they're in attendance in terms of their fact that they're learning. You know, he or she is now, of course, noted down that they're not actually in the school building, but sometimes that can be done. Um, I I don't have an example of that from Canada, I do from the States.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: or you know, so it's it really just comes down to what you can work out. But that that idea of realizing that you are making choices and that you can engage in that you can ask those questions that it's valid to say five days a week is too much for my child what can we do about it because that that's the first piece right is we have to realize that that's a thing and it's okay yeah. for five days a week to be too much it's not just you know we don't just as parents have to say well you'll get used to it, like all your friends are there, like it's fine, you know, we can say, okay, I get it, let's see what we can do.
0: Yeah, I think it's, um, it's so important, uh, along with recognizing that kids are, they're human beings with all those tastes and preferences. Um, They're also, they're also human beings with uh, the need to have good mental health, care. um, And, and I've let my son stay home days where he just couldn't, you know, (laughs) I've had those days myself. And, and so why, why think that that's not going to happen to a child as well? Um, it, or certain activities are happening that are triggers for anxiety, all of those things and just being open to allowing them space for self-care is so important. Um, again, obviously there is privilege in that um, and not every parent is in a position to be able to accommodate those things, um, which makes it so much harder for for them and their kids. Uh, but I sure. love that there are school administrators and teachers who are so willing to do what they can to make accommodations.
2: And I think that again,
1: this idea of like the horizontal communication. So if you know if you want to offer your child the opportunity to have those mental health days or you know whatever it is, but it's, you know, maybe your child is too young to stay home alone. there's there's something that's making that makes it less easy for you to do that then sometimes sitting with your child and saying look I want you to be able to say I need to stay home today but I can't leave you alone in the house what do you what do you see as some options I know for my son um, at one point my daughter was going to a, a farm program and it was a half hour drive in each direction my son was six at the time and he was not at school so he had to come with me to drive her there and pick her up and he hated it like it's just too much driving yeah and so we made an arrangement with our next-door neighbor that he would go there for that hour and she and her partner did all this like sculpture with him and they like he had a fantastic time so he wound up learning like art stuff that I didn't (laughs) have the skills to teach him but and he got he didn't have to go on the drive. So that was kind of a creative solution, which came out of saying, okay, I value that that drive is too much. What are some options that we can come up with together? And then recognizing that you don't always have to pay someone to look after your child, that sometimes spending time with your child, which means they're looking after them, but it's the spending time can actually be a gift for that other adult.
2: Yeah. You know, think about people true. whose
1: grandchildren live far away. And they just yeah. love kids. And if for, there's often situations where if you said, you know, could my kid come and like hang out with you for an hour a week, they'd be like, Oh my gosh, let's make it two or three. Like, yes, of <laughs> course. That would be a privilege for me to have them. So those are some of the I know I always call that homeschool thinking because once you step aside from the school system and you feel that you own your education or your kids' education suddenly you start seeing opportunities and you start seeing relationships differently and this is something that um, Zach Stein is a as a researcher and writer in the states and he he talks about kind of the world beyond school and the world beyond a lot of what we have now and he talks about kind of communities where everybody's connected and so his his what he says is like, imagine you walk past someone on the street and you don't really know them. But yeah. if you stopped and had a conversation, maybe you'd find out that you really need someone to like hang out with your kid for an hour a day. Cause you're at breaking point and they're desperate for company because their grandkids are far away and your kid loves music and they wish they had someone to talk to about music. And all of a sudden, boom, because you stopped in the street and had that conversation, everybody's lives have been enriched immeasurably. So that's his way of looking at society, which I love. And I see that in homeschooling communities where you're like, okay, you know, my kid's getting to grade seven or eight math and I really, really didn't like it and I don't want to do it and my kid wants to do the math. What are we going to do? Yeah, I don't have enough money to pay a math teacher. Okay, well, what? Are some other possibilities that might exist, and I, I talk about that because I've done it. You know, my yeah. son—he um, had an amazing history kind of seminar, sort of a class with this a local musician who, you know, makes his living as a musician, is an internationally recognized musician. But this guy loves history; like he reads history for fun, these great tomes of history, and he never has enough people to talk to about history. So I said, "Hmm, would you be willing to create something for Oliver and some of his homeschooling friends, like whatever you want once a week, like whatever makes sense for you?" And it was amazing. And it, you know, it was a paid class, but because we were doing it as a group, nobody was paying a ton. And yeah. it for him, it meant more income. But more importantly, it, he loved having this experience of consent consenting young people who wanted to engage in history with him and they did really cool projects together so that's yeah. just an example of ways around that and circling back for a minute to the idea of you know if you're at school and you need a mental health day one of the things that i often suggest is um to have to agree with your child how many like mental health day kind of tokens they'll have for the year yeah and then they just so you you don't even have to have that conversation of like them getting up and going oh i just don't feel like it well you know okay well like there doesn't have to be any of that they yeah. can just say here's the token i'm staying home today so they own it yeah and because we can never know what the year's going to look like that might maybe there's 10 tokens but guess what if you get to february and you've used them all up that's okay we can talk again like yeah. this is just yeah. a way of you taking control of it instead of me having to give you permission. Yeah.
0: When, one of the things that strikes me about a lot of what you're talking about is how um, this is building upon strengths. And and one of those things that is, uh, has been debated a bit in education is whether to focus on strengthening weaknesses or building on strengths and, and making them even stronger. And there is that school of thought that you're going to get so much more out of building up people's strengths than try, you know, Spending time building up weaknesses that may never end up being strong skills or uh, areas of interest, and that's one of the things that I love about self-directed learning is that um, it does it does help children find those places that they love, they're good at and and they have a genuine interest in exploring and what can come from that can be Just phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. And it's interesting the idea of strength based or weakness improving based. To me, all of that is a top down kind of way of thinking, right? It's like, what are we doing to children? Are we building their strengths? Are we helping them with their weaknesses? So I would invite people to step back from that and think of it as. Holding space for children to initiate their own learning and their own processes. And if you think about that as a kind of consenting, independent adult, Mm -hmm. there are times when you are going to go and work on your weaknesses because you've chosen to, or because you realize that that weakness is holding you back from something that you want. But if somebody tried to make you do that because they thought you should, not have that weakness, it could have been quite a traumatic experience. Yeah. So that's yeah. to me, that's one thing that's really important with that is that, you know, when we look at um self-directed learning or like a more unschooling, consent based kind of mindset, then we're waiting for the person, the child, the teen to initiate that um mm-hmm. that learning be it strengths. In an area of
2: strength for
0: them, or an area of weakness. That's a great point, Um, because especially when you when you mention that, you know, sometimes we do go after strengthening those weaknesses, and it is being a conscious choice. It totally changes the outcome. Um, There is one particular subject that I've told all my son's teachers: I'm like, he's just not good at it. He doesn't enjoy it. It causes anxiety. He'll learn it later in life if he needs it. I'm not worried about it and yep. And you know it, it it's almost um, it, it seems like a waste of time for him now. So why bother?
2: Yep. yeah, absolutely. And that's amazing that you ha- that you can see that and feel comfortable with
1: that kind of um, flexibility. and that's one of the in school. The teachers aren't, like, they might feel that, but it can be harder for them to, enact, to act on that. Um, so that's one of the beauties of learning outside of school. And, and it's interesting because, you know, in terms of the shoulds, right? Like as parents, we often think, well, it, but there's certain things they just have to learn, right? Like,
2: you know, they yeah. have to learn how to read. And yes, if you're in school, reading is something that is done a lot like
1: you have to be able to read a math problem like reading is a thing so if you don't read by grade one or two it, it's a handy handy cow. like it, it's a barrier to full participation however if you're outside of school you probably don't need to read when you're six or seven you might have you might be reading and be reading books and signs and whatever, but if you can't read yet, it's okay. It's not It's not creating barriers for you. So what we yeah. see with kids who are learning outside of the school system is they often learn to read later, and they often learn to read very quickly. Like, they'll go from defining, self-defining as not being able to read to reading like Harry Potter in a couple of weeks. Which, when we think about The typical process of learning to read that we think we're seeing at school, the idea that you would go from not being able to read to reading Harry Potter in two weeks is unthinkable. Yeah. Yet, it's what we see time and time again. And often these are kids who are 11, 12 years old. So yes, we're used to thinking about learning happening in a particular way or skill acquisition happening in a particular way. But when we just scratch a tiny bit below the surface and look for other types of experiences that people have with some of this um, basic skills learning, we can see very, very different processes. So that's, again, that's part of that normalizing choice or normalizing other options so that people feel they have choice.
0: Yeah, it's almost as if there is, You know, whether there's, and I'm sure that that's part of it, but whether there's developmental factors or simple interest um, in the timing of when that sort of crops up for different aspects of learning or different skills or learning. It's almost as if that natural progression uh, accelerates the learning process.
1: Yes, when you're ready for it, for sure. And and a good way of thinking about it is um, if you think about a young child who's learning to walk. So if we said to our one-year-old, okay, today you're going to learn to walk. I'm going to start
2: teaching you to walk.
1: Like, can you imagine? Like, okay, stand up. I'm going to pull you. Like, no, no, make your legs strong. So they, like, it's ridiculous, right? It's totally ridiculous. We can all easily grasp the idea that learning to walk is something that happens at different times for different kids. And it happens because the child starts to do it. Like they pull themselves up there because they know. And so if we say, well, what if we looked at reading in the same way, then we can, you know, I mean, we can play the devil's advocate and go like, how ridiculous that you're trying to make a kid read letters when they haven't shown an interest in it. Like you can apply that same sentence that you would use for, the ridiculousness of trying to yeah. make somebody walk to reading. Obviously, we've, you know, we've got lots of years as a society of making people read. So it doesn't, you know, we're, we're comfortable using that sentence in that context. But we can use that idea of making learning to walk analogous to learning to read. We can use that to shift our way of thinking about it and to help us start opening up to the idea that we can trust that kids will learn to read when they need to. And that we'll be there to help them if they need our help. And that yeah. you know, why do kids choose to start walking? Well, because everybody around them is walking. Yeah. They start to realize that walking is a faster way of getting from A to B than crawling is. Yeah. It's, you know, convenient because you can do other stuff with your hands. Like on some level, all of that is happening in that little 11 month olds brain and body. And the same kind of thing happens with reading. So suddenly you might be reading a book that you've read with your child a bunch of times and they might go, what word is that? And that's their... Pulling themselves up on the table, showing that they're ready yeah. to start learning to walk, right? And again, we have to be careful not to go. Oh, you're so ready to read. This is so exciting. Okay, we're going to sit down, and I'm going to yeah. teach you all the different words. Like, because then it's gone. Then you just, you just, you know, killed the flame of that that moment. Yeah. But to just you know, as we so often do as parents, remember to answer
2: the question that's asked. Yeah, not the whole like, so. <laughs> that's an opportunity there just to say, oh, what word is that? That's the word day. Yeah. And, you don't know, keep on reading and trust that they've filed that away where they need to in their being for their journey.
0: I love all of this. It's so, it's so fascinating to see the way um, we're thinking about education differently because um, <clears throat> I saw something sometime in the last year, um, and it made a. It was a post from someone who is an educator, and I don't remember their name, but they they made the point that the education system as we know it really hasn't existed very long relative to the history of the world, and so to assume that what we have is the be-all, end-all system, and that it works the best is 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 kind of goes against what we know about just figuring out what the best way to do things is. You know, you we're it, it's a bit of an experiment still. And so questioning how that is working isn't saying that anyone's up to something bad, that anyone's doing something in bad faith. I think that, as you said earlier, Teachers aren't there because they believe in what they're doing. They, they want to help children grow. And, you know, I, in my experience, the vast majority of teachers are extremely caring and um, they're they've been flexible and accommodating. And I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for uh, the work that they do, and especially given everything that's put on them. And so, so this the questioning of the education system isn't isn't about criticizing any person. It's really it's it's looking at the structure and going, is this serving the students the way that it should? Yep. And that that I think is. Such an important conversation that's going on right now.
1: Yeah, because with anything, we want to be reflective, right? Like it's rare that we're in a situation where we just keep on doing something without thinking about it. And definitely within the education structures, people are reflecting on it, and we, we hear things like, "You know, achievement is down," and this and that and. Mm. Therefore, we're changing our testing or doing more testing or whatever. Um, but I think that what's happening is, as we all know, our society, our, our world is changing like at breakneck speed yeah. and the systems do not change at breakneck speed. That's just a thing. <laughs> so what we have is a system that's very entrenched in our societies because we all or 90 whatever percent of us participated in it at school we don't even think of it as a system we just it just is for most of yeah. us
2: so it's really hard to start thinking about it from actually outside of it we might think we're reflecting on the system and on
1: ways to change it and improve it but we're still reflecting within it yeah because that's where we we were schooled to that so it's interesting in this world of alternative thinkers in education a, a frequent debate is if you're somebody who's you know wanting to work with kids but wanting to work with them differently are you better off in the system Doing things differently in your classroom to the extent that you can, or are you better off outside of the
2: system doing things differently? And of it's course, it's a tough a question to contract, answer. Right? Yeah, yeah. But it's a really interesting one. Yeah, and um,
1: so one of the groups that I'm involved with is called Unschooling School, and that's actually a good website to look at for people who are looking for like different ways of engaging with school because they have um, the concept there is a, to be a free learner. Meaning you go to school, like you're registered in school, but you're participating in the way that makes sense for you. And yeah. a free learner would have an FLP, a free learner plan, as opposed to an independent, can like IE. Um, but so one of the things that some of the, the unschooling school people are involved with right now is setting some research going through a grant through a Canadian organization. And this money is available because the granting organization is looking at the fact that our school systems are not producing people that are ready to thrive in this world that we have. Yeah. So they're funding research into this kind of thing. So, and it's, when you think about it, like kids spend, you know, 12 years at school learning to ask permission when they want to go to the bathroom, do what they're told, quote-unquote learn what other people are telling them to is important, yeah. et cetera. All of it steeped, you know, I mean, these curricula, the, the basic subjects, like it's been around for a heck of a long time, way longer than Google and iPhones and all of that. Yeah. And then we're putting them out into the world after university, and they're often quite lost. Like we, we're seeing people now, you know, I mean, in the States, they're talking about extending like obligatory like and free schooling lower and higher because people are finishing university and not being able to get jobs. So this process of learning isn't preparing people for living in the way in our societies. So we know that we, and when we, you know, when we talk to, when, when um, Employers now are telling people or saying what they need in their employees. We're hearing things like creativity and compassion and the ability to get along with others and the ability to be self-initiating. Um, you know, Google is an interesting example of the idea of the 20% time. So one of my colleagues in the UK, yeah. Derry Hannum, he's written about, you know, at the very least, let's introduce 20% of free time into schools. Yeah. and you know, and this is a great concept like he would he would have it be 100% but this is a great concept <laughs> because it's something that you can wrap your head around right like most schools would be able to say okay Fridays are free like you do what you choose to work on on Fridays and we see that idea in businesses like Google where they do have that and yep. from what i understand some of the things that we that are basic to our needs like Gmail Came out of an idea that somebody worked on during yep. their twenty percent time, right? So
2: yep. we know that this free this this free container surrounded by um, people and. Like is you know, that's the idea of unschooling school right
1: you're in it you can be in a setting where there's interesting people to talk to there's people who have expertise and things there's equipment to use so when we can be free in that kind of a context, amazing things
2: happen
0: yeah and what's interesting about that idea is that, like the Google um process of uh giving everybody twenty percent time um what you see kids come up with in that time is they're collaborating together. Because, you know, on our, our kids' uh, report cards in Ontario, um, collaboration is one of those skills that they get graded on. And um, that is a challenging skill to develop in a forced learning situation.
2: I'm
1: so glad you said that. <laughs> yes because who likes group
0: projects they're torture
1: <laughs> so remember back to school when you learned about venn diagrams yes <laughs> so if you imagine a venn diagram there's this there's the circle of school and schoolish ways and then there's the circle of like self-directed and that kind those kinds of ways and some of the overlap between them For people who are listening, like I'm showing that overlap with my hands, which is not helpful (laughs) because we don't have video. But some of that overlap is in words, right? So we see words like collaboration, self-directed learning, project-based learning. We see that in school systems now. But it doesn't at all play out or mean the same thing in a school context as it does in a self-directed learning context. Yeah. So it's really tricky, really tricky when you start grading somebody on something like collaboration because yeah. if it's, as you said, non- non-consensual, like you don't necessarily get to choose your partner or even if you get to choose your partner, you don't get to choose your topic or even if you get to choose yeah. your topic, it's in a certain really limited framework or yep. even if it's totally an open topic, there's a rubric that somebody else imposed on you, yep. or maybe you don't even want to be evaluated on it because you haven't consented to be evaluated.
2: You're just exploring. Yeah. So, all there's a big risk to bringing that um, true
1: freedom-based or or um, self-motivated experience into a
2: coercive context yeah especially one that has evaluations involved yeah it's a big risk
1: it is but it is those same kids who might like get bad marks in collaboration in a school context watch them play with their friends when they're like building a lego world together you'll see amazing collaboration yeah if they're chosen to be together right so that's and I mean, that's a whole other, con- a whole other conversation because there's many conversations that can grow out of these things. But um, uh. the whole notion of evaluating, right, as I said early yeah. on, it's as soon as something is going to be evaluated, even if it's self-evaluation, like because that's a big thing now, right? Like we do self-evaluation on our passion projects. Okay, but what if you actually
2: don't want to evaluate it? Yeah. You're not ready to evaluate it because you're still exploring. Yeah, and that kind of like invites um, me to explain a word, which is deschooling. So
1: deschooling is um, when somebody leaves school in order to yep. become a self-directed learner. Um, it takes time to let go of schoolish ways of waiting to be told what to do you know, not having a lot of time to explore your own motivation. So it can take, you know, we often talk about it taking like at least a month for every year that you've been in school. And that's just the kids, right? The parents who are supporting it takes even longer sometimes. <laughs> so the idea, the way this is relevant here is that if you have free time to do something and you're giving kids free time in the context of a class, it's going to take them a while to actually figure out how to be free. Yeah. How to how to work from a place of intrinsically motivated activity because they're not used to
0: it. It makes so much sense. I, you see it in in the in the business world where people are starting a business, and you probably experienced it for yourself. Uh, shifting into the work that you're doing, um, that realization that I'm the boss and I get to decide is it takes some time. I get to be in control. I set the deadlines. I decide what's important and what are the priorities. I think that's a big reason why business coaches are so important.
1: <laughs> yes, because starting your own business is the quintessential self-directed learning experience. It really and is. It is. And I'm okay to go for another five minutes or so, five, ten yep. minutes. My daughter can just wait, just so you know. Um, <laughs> So self-directed learning, it's exactly what we do as business owners. And it's a great example of how you go out and learn what you need to learn and find the teachers that you need when you need them. So I work with a business coach that you also know, Lara Wellman, and she's amazing. And there's some things that she said to me when I first met her that I wasn't ready to hear. Yeah. Because I, and it, it wasn't that she was like trying to teach me something I wasn't ready for, but just ideas that she shared that I wasn't at a stage where I even knew what that meant. Yeah. But now it's like, oh yeah, you're saying that to me now and I know you said that to me before, but now I'm ready for it. Now I can hear it now I yeah. can work with it and use it. And that's a really great thing to map back onto schools to aid to give or onto kids learning to to have confidence
2: that people no matter how old they are learn what they need when they need to. And will seek out the support, i.e. the teachers, mentors, peers, to do that learning when they need to.
1: With the caveat that, of course, there are times when you know, some children wind up needing speech therapy for different reasons. So it doesn't always all develop smoothly, but it develops smoothly in different rhythms different, at different rates way, way, way more often than we allow opportunity for in our society.
0: Yeah. Um, Stephanie, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, Tell everyone how they can find you and connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing.
1: Sure. So part of my self-directed learning journey right now around having a business (laughs) it's figuring out social media and websites and all of that so I'll invite you to my website and my social media locations with the caveat that they don't yet represent my business in the way that I want them to and that's you know for people who are looking at self-directed learning and as a child or as a as an adult that's the thing right like you start to identify needs or yeah. realize things that you're looking for and there's a there's a lag between when you see it and when you figure out what the process is going to be to make it happen yeah. and that's the beauty and the torture of self-directed learning because <laughs> in school you don't have to think of that people just tell you what to do all the time <laughs> but the beauty yes. is you get to do it in your way and when yeah. it's there it's there. So yeah. my website is myname.ca, Sewell.ca. Uh, hopefully it will soon become Own Your Learning as my website. I'm pretty sure that that's going to become my business name. I've said it here yeah. for the first time. Oh, um, exciting. Yeah. So, And it's interesting. That was advice that a friend gave me because I, I thought that when I started my own business, the first thing I had to do was come up with a name. She said, No, like you're going to evolve so much of what your business is in those first years. Just use your name for now. And that way you don't have to rebrand. You'll just brand when you're ready. Yeah. It's like, oh my goodness, total example of learning when you're ready or doing something when you're ready.
2: Yeah. So,
1: yes, stephaniesewell.ca. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Stephanie Sewell Education, though I'm not very good at posting very often. What I do post quite often, though, is um, things that I'm involved with. So I I was mentioning, I think that I host these bi-weekly conversations through Unschooling School. We have amazing conversations. Last time we talked about trust. What does it mean to trust? Yeah. And that was great. So, yeah, please join in those conversations. And then as far as the more direct work, the ways that I can support your family, um, I work with people one-on-one and in small group. So some of the main uh, things that I would invite you to to consider are, I have a group called Teens Thriving. And that's for teens who are pretty much self-directed learners, mm-hmm. but might not even know it yet. So, yeah some of the members of that group are in the process of realizing that school's just not working for them. And are yeah. it's that like leap into the great unknown, but I make that leap not scary because I can show them what it yeah. is. I can show their parents what it is there. I'm there to mentor them as they need it. I'm there to normalize the process and to connect them with other people who are further along in that process or, or in that same process. So the teens is yeah. thriving. And then I'm also going to be starting a group for parents in the fall, which is parents of kids who are you know more unschool leaning, but not again, not necessarily there because we don't start there. It's more like, yeah, you know, we're homeschooling, but we're doing all this curriculum, and it's not feeling good. And oh. so yeah. it's to give support to people like that. And then one on one, we can we often wind up doing some pretty intense work around what's been going on, like who's your child, what do you want for your child, and how do we then start looking at the education that they're having differently so that it can really begin to meet their needs. And so one of the things I often produce as part of that is an action plan for for families that they can use to help them in school or outside of school.
2: Oh, that's all wonderful.
0: Thank you so much for coming and sharing this. Uh, This is a topic that I could Just dig into for a long, long time because it is so interesting. All the all the different ways that we can redefine education and and how we uh, approach learning differently now versus you know even just ten years ago, a lot has changed.
1: It sure has. It sure has. And um, I want to thank you as well, Karen, because your your engagement with the material clearly you thought about it ahead of time and you've really like you allowed us to really get into some interesting stuff in this conversation and I really appreciate that from you as a interviewer or whatever a co-conversationalist so I've really enjoyed this conversation and really feel like we've had a chance to share some important ideas and, and topics thank you
0: oh, you're so very welcome thanks for joining us on this episode of small but mighty biz stories want to hear more stories visit smallbutmightypod.com. And be sure to tell us about your fave small biz so we can share their story too.